just past 7 o'clock, and there is no time to dilly-dally tonight. It's time for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, we've got so much to get into. We really can't even mess around today. First and foremost, where have you been? Because a couple of weeks recently, your friends give you a hard time for not doing too much. I think you got around this week. I was everywhere. <laughs> so... The Delray Beach Tennis Tournament I was at on Friday for the semi for the quarterfinals. And then Saturday, I went to the first match and there was raining. I had like five rain delays in the match. And then I was there for the semi. They replayed the semis on, on Sunday and then had the finals again on Sunday. Riley Opeka from West Palm Beach, grew up here, uh, won the tournament. He's 6'11". He's 22 years old, 6'11". He's only been playing since he was 17 years old. Because his semifinal match was rained out on Saturday night, he had to come back on Sunday at 10.30, play a two-hour match at 10.30, take an hour break, come back, and then play another three-set match against Nishikura, Yoshi Nishikura from Japan. And it was a big win for Riley. And he was so funny. He was hosting all the players. Like, five of the players stayed at his house in Delray. <laughs> he trains in Ibis. He's a very personal, friendly guy, and I'd love to get him on my show. So, so Ira, we've been saying that... You know, America's really lacking the up-and-comer, the person we're going to be watching for. Did we find him this weekend, you think? At least he has a big serve, and what I was impressed with is that his his court game, like John Isner is, has a great serve, one of the greatest serves you've ever seen in tennis. Pekka has a serve like that. He's 6'11". He has to have a great serve. But I noticed that his court game is developing. He seems to be improving much better than he played last year. He's ranked 40th in the world. Let's see if he can make that. It's it's hard. We saw with TFO, Jack Sock, a lot of these other Americans that people are saying, boy, they're going to be, they're going to make that next step. It's really hard. It's, it's Look, it's hard to be top 40 in the world. It's hard to be top 30 in the world. But it's almost impossibly top 10. So this is, let's see if these guys can do it. But I, I was really impressed with how Riley played. It's great that he's from the area. And it was a good victory to win those two matches. He could have said, look, I'm tired. I played. A, I just beat Miles Ronick from Canada, who was the top seed in the at the, in the morning. I'm too tired to play, or I'm not going to play that well. He came out and played Nishikora very well in the finals and won. I'm very uh, impressed with that, that we're bringing the Delray Beach <laughs> title back here uh, to South Florida. Um. I wrote, this is our Honda Classic preview show. Honda Classic officially starts today. Golf action starts on Wednesday, and then Thursday is the official tournament. Um, so we've got three massive interviews lined up. You want to tell us about them? Real quick, we're going to have the defending champion, Keith Mitchell, who held off uh, Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepa last year. We went over it. I think we spent 10 minutes talking about that final round. It was really neat how I loved having his insight in terms of what he did to win mm -hmm. this tournament. And not just win a tournament, holding off Brooks Kepka and Ricky Fowler not easy in the final do. holes. And, and <laughs> when everyone's birding, birding the whole time. And then we have Jim Herman, who was the winner of the Shell Houston Open and the Barbasol last year. Very interesting golfer. Has an interesting story about who motivated him to come. He's 30-some years old, uh, is a club pro, and he got some motivation from a very, very famous person to go back on the pro tour. Yeah. So, this well, is a great I'm going to hide yeah. that up. I'm going to hide yeah. that. And then, because we, we, the, the golfers are playing or practicing right now, so we couldn't get them to, for the live interviews. And then we also have uh, Greg Chalmers, who has played the Honda 13 times, and he's from Australia, and who's uh, won tournaments against Tiger, Adam Scott, and Gary Woodland uh, all around the world. So it's an interesting interview for someone who just loves this tournament and talk about it. So I think we have three really interesting golfers, and we'll, we'll spread those interviews out throughout the show. All of the interviews were fantastic. So if you're a golf fan, you're going to want to be here for this. Um, Ira, before we get into the, the meat of the show tonight, you might be breaking some news here on Ira and Sports. You've got a lot of well-connected um, connections, I guess, for lack of a better word. There might be a rumor floating around that could come to fruition. All I heard is Tom Brady to San Diego. They're not optimistic. They're doubtful. Okay, so everyone thought San, San Diego. We lost the Chargers yeah. uh, because they felt he's from that area. He would his family likes that. That'd be. I'm hearing it, it's not up to the the Patriots are scared. They don't know which way it's going to go. And the only team Tennessee, I think, is totally worthless to talk about. But I word the term optimistic and eighty percent Las Vegas. Really? So that's now whether he's using that to get something out of the Patriots and he's leaking this stuff. But this isn't just this is a lot of people in Las Vegas feel that Tom Brady in the middle of March is going to announce that he's going to be a Las Vegas Raider. This, imagine if we break this on Iron Sports <laughs> well, here. It's interesting that he is when the, the tuck roll game was against the Raiders for him to come back and now be. But that you got John. You don't really have the you have the new team that's going to be tons of excitement. It's close to to LA, to California, and you also have Gruden, who's this mastermind, his coach, who I'm sure he has a very good relationship with. Yeah. So it does make a little sense. I don't want to see it. I hope he just plays his whole career for the Patriots. I like. I don't would never want to. 
see Ben leave. I think the fact that Kobe stayed. I think it's important for these superstars stay at their own team, but we'll see. Eli Manning, once a giant, always a giant. He said only a giant. Oh. So it is nice to, to see that uh, out of our quarterbacks. You were also in Miami. Not just Del Rey, and you made it down to the Dwayne Wade retirement. So you want to talk about this? Yeah, I left the I left Del Rey early to go down to the game. It was his the, raising his uh, jersey to the rafters. I went last year to Chris Bosch's game at Bosch's. They had they had an event Friday night that I did not go to where everybody spoke. And during this game, it was pretty interesting because they brought him out during the game, like every break. To, they got to see the the key to the city one time. He got Wade County renamed Wade County instead of Dade County the other time. <laughs> and then, but for the ceremony at halftime of the Cavaliers. Game and the Cavaliers forgot to show up for the game. This uh, last year, they did it on purpose. Well, last year the Heat lost to the Magic, and I Mm -hmm. heard that Spolstra and Riley just lit into the team saying, "We're having Chris Bosh's retirement for his jersey, and you lose this game." And I think the Heat, the Heat shot. They were at one point in late in the first half, they were shooting seventy-five percent, and they were shooting (laughs) sixty percent from threes. They were up like forty points at one point. It wasn't even close. But so at this halftime, what they did was that Riley came out, he gave a really nice speech, then they raised the jersey, uh, 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 Gabriel. Union and his children helped raise the jersey. Then he gave about a 20-minute speech with a tele very articulate with a teleprompter. He went and talked about how Riley was in a gym watching Marquette beat Kentucky because Riley used to play at Kentucky and said, what's happening? Who's this guy, Dwayne Wade? And then he, I have to draft him. And then he taught, he went through every one of his coaches and what he, not just naming your name, but saying what he did for them. Down to did junior high, you said. In fact, the junior high assistant yeah. coaches went through that, thanked Miami profusely, talked about how he loved the town, loved the city, went through his family, uh, admitted that when he was in Marquette, he, he couldn't even play his first year. He didn't have the grades and was it was messed up and great credit to Tom Cream for putting him on the right track. He went through the whole thing and winning the championships. Uh, just just a great and great and a great speech. I loved it. And then when he was done, the more impressive is that they cut to commercial. I'm sure on TV he went and hugged every single person. And we're talking every Heat player. He talked to every the support staff, the security officers. Mm-hmm. He literally had the time to walk around for another 15 minutes. They had to almost shoo him off the court to start the game because <laughs> he was just hugging everybody. And I just just genuine hugs I was really impressed with that and it was just it was it was really it was fun to be at that game and uh, I'll tell you what from the Heat perspective Bam Adebayo that is becoming a superstar before our eyes Derek Jones Jr. is becoming a superstar before our eyes they are so deep I mean they were missing Tyler Hero they were missing uh, they were missing Jimmy Butler and they still kill the Cavs this team looks great and uh, but he sat there it's funny he sat there right courtside and right when he sat down someone spilled I think the waiter came and spilled <laughs> water on him and he's like cleaning up his water but uh, he's a great it's just amazing that I'm so glad he was in, he's considered the greatest player to ever play in South Florida he's clearly the, the second biggest athlete ever after Dan Marino I would say in the history I think of Miami sports ahead. I think we could have a show yeah, now where we debate Marino <laughs> because he won three titles Wade did uh, Marino yeah. didn't but uh, it was it, I wanted to be at this game uh, I thought he's a classy price I wrote I wrote my Facebook on Iron Sports on Facebook he's a classy person a classy speech uh, everything about that we're already behind schedule of course here on sports, but um, th- there was a lot going on for Kobe as well, and I'm glad that um, you know they were able to have a send-off like they were. Would you like to talk about that? Oh yeah, that? just real fast. It was it was uh, tremendous. I watched it on TV today. You had Beyonce, uh, Alicia King's uh, Keys played the piano for his favorite song, Moonlight Sonata. Christine Aguilera sang Ava Maria. Michael Jordan gave, I mean, he never talks, and he talked for 10 minutes, started crying, just a great speech from him, and Rob Palenka talked about getting, texting with Kobe just a minute before the accident and Kobe was trying to help somebody get uh, an internship at a sports agent. Mm-hmm. He was just helping this one girl get his internship. He's like, always oh, his last moment was just trying to help people. It was a beautiful ceremony. Vanessa Bryant was just heart, just heartfelt when she talked. I thought it was very classy, just an amazing... I, I was very impressed with how they did that ceremony and uh, just it, I still just don't want to accept it that he's yeah. gone. I, I agree with you there. It's 713. You're listening to Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Honda Classic Week is upon us. We've got a lot to talk about with the Honda Classic, including Ira's inside information. You've walked this tournament more than most of the golfers playing in it, so you know everything about getting the most out of your Honda Classic Week. But first, let's catch up with last week's cha- uh, last year's champion, Keith Mitchell, here on Ira on Sports. We're talking to Keith Mitchell, the defending champion of the Honda Classic. So one year ago, Keith, you're getting ready to play the Honda. You, uh, what was the feeling coming into the tournament? You, uh, did, you, you had no idea you were going to win, but were you confident? How would you feel going into like just a few days before the tournament? Well, it's funny. This time last year, I was, uh, you know, hadn't 
didn't have any really exempt status other than through the end of the season and had a decent West coast, not really where I wanted to finish. Um, and so really kind of came into the, came into the Honda last year with, um, kind of no expectations and, but I knew my game was good. I knew I was, I knew I was starting to play a little bit better, definitely get a little more comfortable in the golf courses, um, on the far swing. So I definitely came in with a good mindset, but, um, I wouldn't say I started the week knowing that I was going to win hands down. And I definitely started, I played well the first two rounds. And after that, I kind of felt like I could, especially after Saturdays rather than going into Sunday, but going into the week this time last year, I was just, I was just, um, trying to get my, trying to get my game where it needed to be. Uh huh. And then, so you go in the tournament, the first, the first day you're in the top 20, the second day you shoot a 60, a 66, but there were a lot of good scores that day. Some were 64s and, and, and there was another 66, but you're tied for the lead. So now you're tied for the lead going into the weekend at the Honda. What did you feel like at that point where you, you, you felt, you know, you had those two rounds under your belt, you felt confident you're in the lead. What was your feeling going in now to the weekend? Well, uh, I played in the last group for the first time on Sunday at the Sony last year. So about a month, month or two earlier, I'd kind of gotten my last group jitters out of the way. So I played, I played, um, you know, that Saturday with a little bit more confidence, but still didn't play my best round. I think I was ended up shooting even par on a, a decently tough day. Um, and didn't really fall far. I think I was on maybe third after the after the second round. So I definitely didn't have as good of a round as I wanted to, but knew that it was playing tough. Um, pretty much, um, I didn't lose the tournament Saturday, obviously, which is which is the biggest thing because if you have a chance going into Sunday, it's that's all you really can ask for. Because Saturday, you know, if I let my emotions get to me or start start, um, you know, letting the conditions get to me and, and start falling backwards and it's Sunday becomes a lot tougher. So I feel like I did a lot better job of just managing my, managing my game, managing the golf course. And even though I didn't play or perform my absolute best, like I did on Sunday, it still kept me and gave me a chance. Yeah. So now you're going in and you shot, so you're one, you're you shot a 70 on, on Saturday and you go into Sunday, you're one stroke back to Wyndham Clark. VJ Singh is tied with you. And that was a big story because he's, over 50 years old, and it was a it was a story about VJ, and then you had Brooks and Ricky Fowler, Brooks Koepka and Ricky Fowler, right behind you. So you're going to that final round, and 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 uh, it was you know there was a lot going on, but I guess you felt it might there might have been a little pressure off you on that Sunday because there was a lot of other storylines going on at that time. I, I definitely have to agree there. I mean, Wyndham was uh, rookie season on tour last year, and he's a great player and was amazing in college. And so he kind of had this, the limelight, and VJ was definitely in there second. I mean, other than Davis Love, I can't think of the last time somebody over 50 had um, won a tour event, especially of, of one of the Honda Classics caliber. And VJ is just one of the greatest ball strikers to ever live. And that golf course at PJ National is definitely a ball striker's golf course. So it was, um, it was definitely, definitely, my name was was definitely not talked about as much Saturday night. I would say, and especially well, then you the go into Sunday, Sunday and because... you're you're now it's a whole mess. I mean, I remember being out there that Sunday and it was crazy. You're trying to follow different golfers. The leaderboard was switching left and right all over the place. And at on you bogey 11, but then you go and get you, you birdie 12, 13 and 15. So after that bogey on 11, you build you birdie three, of the next four holes was did something. Did you say to yourself after 11, I'm just going to go for it and, and, what was your thinking going right after that, right after you uh, had that bogey at 11? Well, that's, that's a good question because when I, when I bogeyed 11, I, I remember walking off that green and really kind of seeing how I, I didn't, I didn't want to say I couldn't win, but I knew it was going to be pretty hard. And so I was like, all right, I know I'm playing well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that bogey derail my tournament. I want to try to play the best, absolutely the best I can, the last eight holes, and you know, if I if I don't win, I at least have a good finish. And so I kind of somehow mentally switched that bogey around. And instead of being really upset, I kind of looked at it, I was like, all right, well, you know what? There's nothing you can do about it now. Let's just go out there and and hit the best shots we can hit, and 
and um, see what happens. And that's that's really tough to do sometimes when you're when you're you know that close to the lead and you make a bogey and you fall back. Instead of getting mad, I kind of propelled it, used it to propel myself. And when I bogeyed, I mean, excuse me, when I birdied 12, I was like, okay, we're you know right back where we needed to be. And then I just felt like I knew I was going to birdie 13 for some reason, hit it just right of the flag and just drain the pot. And when I birdied 13, that's when I felt like we were right back in it. Yeah. So then, and then, and then you're then. But Fowler and Kepka make this huge run. I mean, Fowler was birding, I think, for the last five holes, and you're on seven. You're on. You're on. What did you know when you took the lead? Were you? I mean, I, I know it's so hard when you're at a golf course because I mean it's hard for just to follow it. I'm not even playing golf to know what the leaderboard is. Did you have an idea where you were when you were like at 17 and 18? Um, I knew where I was on 16 green. Um, I saw when I was on 16 green. I saw that Brooks had birdied 18 to tie me at eight under. And so then I walk off 16 green, walk into 17, and then I see Ricky make his, I guess, I don't know, 40-footer on 17 while I'm standing <laughs> So you, saw, you were actually seven. standing on 17 watching Ricky hit the 44-footer. <laughs> That's Correct. Yes, I'm I'm standing oh, wow. there after just seeing Brooks to birdie at 18, and then I'm saying I watch Ricky make that putt and listen to the whole you know the hole erupt, and I just was looking at my caddy like man like this is this these this is why these guys are the best in the world because they show up when it's the most important, and that was when I told him I was like it's time for us to do that now. And so I knew Ricky was going to birdie 18 after he birdied 17. There was no doubt in my mind. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world, future Hall of Famer. Like, there's no doubt this guy's going to do it. And, of course, he does. And so I hit a great shot on 17, um, almost make the putt. But going to 18, knowing that I, you know, I'm tied with these guys and a birdie gets me ahead of them. I still don't know where VJ is at the time because he was at 7 under the last time I looked. So even when I made the putt on 18, I still thought BJ had a chance to beat me or tie until we looked back and saw he had the way up out of the bunker, and then that was when we knew we were born. Wow. So, I mean, that was – I mean, people were thinking, you know, you had the 14-foot putt for birdie on 18, knowing that you, that you broke the tie with Kepka and Fowler, uh, and you were still thinking – but at that time you were still thinking about BJ, thinking he might possibly have a shot too. So, uh, But when you – were you ner- were you going for the birdie on eighteen, or were you just saying, "Look, I'm going to play the hole"? You didn't, or did you just have a plan where I'm just going to get hit just the best shot? So did did you have an idea that you felt like you had to get that birdie on eighteen? Well, I knew that if I hit the fairway, it was going to be a decent chance for birdie. And the problem was I didn't. I, I pulled my drive left into the bunker, and so I kind of had to reassess what I was going to do. I um, I had to lay up and then. That hole is the greens were, were definitely a little firm. That hole was cut right on the back edge, and if you hit it over the green, there's almost no chance you're going to get up and down. So my caddy and I are in the fairway. I think we got like 100, and, I don't know, maybe 123 yards out, and we actually clubbed down um, from a normal 123 yard club. I went from a gap wedge to a sand wedge, knowing that long was dead. And we were just no, even if if I hit that gap wedge long, my chances of even getting the playoff are slim. So we took the left club, went ahead and swung as hard as we could, and figured if it didn't get to the hole, it was going to come up short just a little bit and have an uphill putt. And I hit it great, and we were right on. It came up just a smidge short, but it, it at least gave us the opportunity to make the putt, and then it went in. Right, right. No, that's. I mean, it was truly one of the most exciting endings. Because you have the Fowler and the Kepka and, and, and they're playing well. It's well, not just to have the big names of the tournament, but how well they were playing. And then you were able to hold them off. And it was just, I mean, that was, I mean, that was absolutely amazing. We're talking to Keith Mitchell, defending champion of the, of the Honda Classic uh, uh, on 95.9, 106.9 on Iron Sports. Uh, after, after, talk about, you know, the, besides the fact that you won the money, but Talk about after the tournament, you're getting your first win. What that opened up for you in terms of like your confidence as a player and just just being able to, to play in the Masters and all the other tournaments. But what what that what that first win did for you? I mean, I tell you what, it was it was it was a pretty sigh of relief um, in a way, as well as some um, 
I mean, ridiculous excitement because out here on the PGA Tour, you're playing for your job every year, and there's no let up, and there's always the next crop of young guys coming in. When I was coming out a couple of years ago, and there's always the next one, and then there's going to be the next and the next. And when you win, it gives you it's, it gives you exemptions. It gives you exemptions into the bigger tournaments. It gives you exemptions into the next couple seasons, and it opens up the kind of the, the real um, experiences of the PGA Tour, where before. You know, I was that was I was only on tour for maybe a year and a couple months before I won last year, and I was just trying to get my you know get my feet under me out there, understanding what it's like being a rookie, you know the pressures of being a rookie, and then I kept my card, and then I was just really getting into my second year, and when that happened, it kind of it kind of gives you a feeling that you belong, but also gives you a feeling that like this is what you this is what you've worked for, this is what you what you've dreamed of, and like we're, we need to work just as hard if not harder to keep doing this and keep being out here and enjoying and enjoying playing on the PGA tour for as long as possible. Cause after you do it once you want to do it every time. And before I had never won, I didn't know what it felt like. And after I won the Honda, I was like, I want to do this every single week. <laughs> now you want to get, you want to have that feeling again. No. Well, that's great. And you actually, after, after the, uh, after the Honda, you were six at Bay Hill uh, you were 47th at players, 43rd at Masters, and, and the 8th at Wells Fargo. So you got those two good top 10s afterwards. So you still, you know, you didn't really have that uh, just, you know, relaxing or whatever. You, you actually played very well right after the Honda and had some really good tournaments. Yeah, I mean, golf golf's is a very cyclical game. And, we, you know, the players always have their highs and have their lows, and whether it's – depending on the variances of that, of the top 50 in the world, top 10 in the world, you know, whatever. And the good thing about golf is when you're playing well, you want to keep it going and you want to play as many tournaments as you can that at that given time because you got your confidence, your game feels good, and, you know, your, your results are showing. And then at the opposite side, when you're not playing well, you, you know, your results aren't there. You might miss a cut or two and you're really trying, you know, to get your feels back. So fortunately for me, um, I played, um, I played pretty well the next couple months after the win of the Honda, cause I was on that high of confidence and, and my game. And then toward the end of the year, you know, it was the opposite. Right. Right. And like talk a little I, about I, your I caddy. I mean, your caddy, uh, he really got some, uh, great publicity <laughs> just three times because he's funny and he had long hair and everything, but it was definitely being, I mean, I think that was, that was one of the storylines of the tournament was that was, uh, was, uh, um, you know, he was, you know, he was definitely the, the character that really, and, and I don't know, just give us, give us a little talk about in terms of what he does for you. I'll tell you what, he is, he is a real life version of happy Gilmore caddy for those who've seen the, seen the movie. <laughs> He's he's great. <laughs> yeah. He's just an outdoorsman and very content, very you know simplistic life. Live, can, I mean, he could, you could throw him in the woods and he could find a way to live for a month before you ever even found him. It's he's just that kind of guy, and um, he's he's full life, full energy, positive, and everybody loves him. And um, he's just so easy to be around. And um, actually, he's carried for me from really day one as since I've been a professional. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I really think that you're going to get a lot of credit. You were back for media day and I saw that, you know, you came back and, and gave a, just an amazing talk to everybody. You really being a defending champion, you've really embraced it. I mean, I, I think that's phenomenal. You talked to Ken and Ken said, you're one of the, you know, one of the greatest champions in terms of, you know, being available, you're doing this interview, you're doing lots of other interviews. Just talk about uh, all everything about in West Palm Beach and, and what you've done. I mean, I know your posters are, are flags are on the, on, the, on the street poles all over, but what it's like to be a champion coming back to a tournament and uh, and the responsibilities that you have to push the tournament, but but just enjoy, you know, talk about everything around being the champion and, and, and working with the tournament. Well, I'll tell you what, it's my first time as ever as defending champion on the PGA Tour, so it's all learning experience. But it's, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the the Honda Classic has been incredible to me, um, even even well after this time last uh, last year. It was the last, you know, 
full year really since the tournament. They've been so gracious, done a lot of great things for me. So the least I can do is is get back to the tournament that gave me, you know, really my first uh, first first big experience on the PGA Tour. So I've I've always loved Palm Beach area. I came down a couple times um, just in in other tournaments prior. I played Q School down there. And I um, really just enjoyed that part of the world, and it was just a blessing to to have my first ever victory there. Well, you know, we really appreciate you've been a you've been a tremendous uh, you know as, again uh, you're making yourself available for for everything and, and pushing the tournament, which is great. Uh, talk about the crowds just just about in terms of 17 and 18, and uh, it's just and that, and on Sunday it was maybe the loudest. I mean, I've been there when Rory and Tiger have been out there. And I think last year was, was, I mean, was even louder than that time. And, and just, and how that, the, the, you know, how do you funnel the crowd noise into the success? Because you clearly had success on the back nine and, and how you were able to, to sort of is it, use it to help you or in, in terms of having the great, you know, the great back nine? I'll tell you what, the, the crowds on 17, it, it feels like a stadium hole um, where, you know, where, where you feel almost enclosed with the fans. And, but they're, they're polite fans. They're respectful fans. They know what's going on and they cheer for very, obviously very loudly for, for good golf. And and compared to some other tournaments where it might be a little bit rambunctious around par threes, like here at PGA national at the Honda Classic, I mean, it's, it's a great atmosphere because they are absolutely the best, most respectful fans, but they still get the energy that you need out there. And even 18, 18 all the way up, I mean, I feel like the last like 200 yards, there's just tons and rows and rows of people, which is you almost get that same feeling on 18. I mean, if the water's not all the right over there, I mean, the hole might be easier. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the fans <laughs> would be lined over there too. So, it's, I mean, it's just a great amphitheater to play in coming, coming down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I've been talking about, I was just at the Genesis and in Riviera, and there's just nothing like that. There's no stands. I mean, there's no, I mean, maybe going up to 18, you feel it right when you put it the green, but there's nothing. There's, it's just, there's just so many more people at the Honda, and it's just, it's at almost like, you know, about half the holes you're having stands through, and you're almost, you are feeling like you're at a, at a football stadium more than even a golf tournament. I, mean, I definitely agree, and I think it has something to do with how how ingrained golf is in the community in Palm Beach versus a lot of other cities that we play. I mean, golf is a very is very you know it's it's one of the biggest um, things down there in South Florida, especially around around the area that Honda is is located in, and I think that's just has a lot to do with it. The golf fans are just more knowledgeable, and and you know in Palm Beach. Yeah, well, 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 thank you, Keith. Um, this we're talking, we've been talking to Keith Mitchell on Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. I wish you the best of luck uh, for this, for the, for the next tournament coming up. Maybe you could become a two-time champion, which would be tremendous. And uh, I just, and thank you again for coming on Iron Sports. All right, that would be. I would. I hope the same as well. And, and maybe, maybe coming on the show, bring me that extra little boost. I know, and if you and if you win, come back on Monday, and <laughs> we can talk about perfect. That. Hey, but we'd love to have yeah, you again. That would be, I'm sure that you're going to have a so long, fun. successful career on the tour. You were you were just it was it was really one of the for that hour one hour period last year. If there, anybody loves golf, I mean, people watching it on TV called me. I was on the course, and people were on TV saying they were riveted to the television. And then people on the course were like, they have never heard it so loud. So it was just a great feeling, and hope you can replicate it again this year. Well, thank you, sir. It was uh, it was a lot of fun last year, and a lot of fun talking to you. And let's hope we can do it again this year. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, sir. Seven thirty-three. It's Iron Sports, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Talk about a great interview. Not only is he just uh, such a charismatic, great guy, but you walked him through it. It was like being there on eighteen and the entire you know the entire day on Sunday. Well, for our listeners who don't understand, seventeen is where the bear trap, and there is literally twenty thousand people yep. around that. It is in a stadium, and to for I did not realize he was standing on seventeen when he sees Ricky Fowler sink a forty-foot putt. Uh, that's just and and normally I. Think 
think most golfers, when they see that, I mean, most people are, we saw so many tournaments, and they're hitting the ball in the water. Yeah. And there's water on almost the entire, you have to literally go over water for most of the hole. And where the, the pin was placed was a difficult pin placement that Sunday. And then he actually was able to par that hole out and then birdie on 18. But that was great. We saw how he used the fact that the bogey on 11 motivated him mm -hmm. and also that he wasn't intimidated by Fowler sinking, watching Fowler sink a 40-foot putt. It was a great interview, and we're, of course, going to be uh, rooting for Keith uh, coming up here in the Honda Classic. Let's talk about some of the other, let's talk about some of the rest of the field and also some of the odds that we're going to be looking at uh, here going into Thursday. Well, everyone's excited because Brooks Kapka is back, and if anyone doesn't know who Brooks, what Brooks has done, he's won uh, four uh, majors. Uh, he's in the in the last. He's won, in the last ten majors he's played. He's won four. He's been second twice. He's been fourth once and sixth once. So he's been out of the last ten majors. He's been eight in the top six. Not bad. Not <laughs> bad at all. And he's uh, number three in the world now. And he wasn't Player of the Year. And we talked about how that was mm -hmm. ridiculous because he's the biggest big tournament player ever. Uh, but we're, he's coming off a knee injury that he had a knee surgery a couple of months ago. I saw him in the Genesis, and he was limping a little bit around. I mean, I hope he comes through and has a has a great tournament, but he's 12 to 1. It's a 12 to 1 favorite. Ricky Fowler is a four time winner on the tour. He won, I, he uh, won this tournament two years ago. I uh, was shooting a, a 66 to start, and uh, but he's played in 10 straight tournaments. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, he didn't play in any other tournaments coming here. The other big name, I, those are the two major names in the tournament, mm -hmm. Kepka and Fowler. Then you have Tommy Fleetwood, 29 years old from Europe. He was in fourth and second in the last two U.S. Opens, so people know him. He's a long hair, he's an exciting player. Mm -hmm. This is a great chance to see him. He doesn't play a lot. He plays on the PGA Tour, but he plays a, lot, a full European Tour event, so mm -hmm. it's weird to see him. It's good, great to a chance to see a player like him on there. He's at, I think, 12 to 1. Let's see, he is yeah, 12 to 1 also. Uh, and then Justin Rose, who's ranked 13th in the world. He has 10 PGA Tour wins, 11 European Tour wins. He won the 2013 U.S. Open, and he's been second and third in the British Open a couple of the last two years. So he's that other maybe yeah. fourth favorite that would have it. And then you have Gary Woodland, who won the U.S. Open last year at Pebble Beach. I was at that tournament. Mm -hmm. Gary's a uh, four-time winner on the Pro Tour, but really playing well now. And this that, that uh, U.S. Open win could propel him, so I'm excited to see him. And then Shane Lowry, who won the British Open last year. So you have three between Kepka, Woodland, and Lowry, three of the four major winners. And you have an interesting player, Victor Hallen. Um, so people saw him at the U.S. Open last year as an amateur. He finished 12th. People said, oh, my God, you won millions of dollars, and you're not an amateur and can't collect it. But then he turned pro. He's only 22 years from Norway. He just won the Puerto Rican Open last week. Mm -hmm. So if you want to come out and see this, like, the next quote, Tiger, you know, whatever's <laughs> like that, come out and see Victor Victor Hovland. And then you have, like, the local players like Daniel Berger, uh, Jason Duffner, who was a PGA Tour, five-time PGA Tour winner, won the PGA Champion 2013. Jim Fjork has 17 PGA Tour wins is there. Patty Harrington, two-time champion. only two-time champion. Only two-time yeah. champion at the Honda. And, and between 2007 and 2008, he won the British Open twice and the PGA Championship once. So he's a three-time major winner. P B Billy Horschel has played very well. We just saw him play at the Mexico Championship was in the top 10 there. And then you have Zach Johnson, who was the 2015 British Open winner and 2007 Masters winner. Of course, we have Keith Mitchell and uh, Lee Westwood, who's number 30 in the world. So it's a, I think it's a very good deep field. A lot of European golfers. You've got the Hoagland, who's the nice young player, some Jim Furyk, some of the veterans. And you got Kepka and Fowler. So I think it's a great field. Patty Harrington was the year. His most recent win was the D Monday tiebreaker, I believe. Against Daniel Berger. Yeah, against Daniel Berger. But we had to wait another day, and we were clinging around to see who's going to win the Honda Classic. Um, let's talk about someone who's going to be in the field, and we're, we're rooting for him. It's Jim Herman. Uh, Ira, we caught up with him a little bit earlier in the week. Let's hear from Jim Herman here on Iron Sports. Okay, hi, Jim. Um, so you grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there are a lot of golfers from Ohio. I mean, we talk about Jack Nicklaus and, and the tradition of golfers. What got you motivated to, uh, to, to be in golf? Sure. I mean, I mean, to say when I started playing golf at nine uh, with my father and brother and say, you know, at 42, you're going to be on the PGA Tour for nine years and have two wins on the tour, I would have told you you're crazy. So, um, you know, playing on the tour was not a, uh, you know, really a big goal of mine until later, later on and, uh, you know, maybe just into college, really. I mean, high school, playing in high school is you're just trying to play well enough that maybe you could get a college golf, college golf scholarship. And uh, so, you know, just the, the path from just playing a little bit at nine years old uh, with my dad and brother uh, to here has been a long journey. But, uh, yeah, I don't know where it, where it all started. Um, just playing with them, 
junior golf, you know, you just get into it. I was into everything else, all the other sports. Um, you know, it was all seasonal, so there were, you know, you weren't playing golf year round, so you were playing basketball in the winter and baseball. Really loved baseball um, and uh, playing some soccer, and then and then golf came around, and uh, that really stuck. Um, um, don't really know. Oh. Why? I mean, everything else was team team oriented, and golf was individual, and you could you could go out and practice all you want. And uh, um, my dad was very supportive of that. They'd you know get me out on the golf course whenever they could in junior golf, and, and that's just where it all got started. So you're so we're talking to Jim Herman, uh, who's competing in the Honda Classic uh, uh, this week. Uh, Jim's from Cincinnati, Ohio, but now lives in Palm City. Uh, so Jim, you're you're a you're a golf pro, professional golf pro at a, at a golf course, and you get encouragement from one of the members to go on the go on the tour. And a lot of a lot of pros are like that. I mean, I played in tennis, and and they always wanted my tennis pro people would always go up to him and say, you should play on the tour. And he's like, no, I'm not going to play the doll and Federer and stuff like that. But but you're, the person that encouraged you was a little different than other people. He was the owner of the course, Donald Trump, at Bedminster, New Jersey, and and he was the one who gave you the encouragement to really try out and and, and to really go on the tour and talk about your interactions with. Uh, president Trump and and what he well he, that time he wasn't president but what how he motivated you sure. to to want to make a, a, a uh, go out on the tour. Yeah, I mean, um, well, to get back, uh, we'll give you a little a uh, little backstory. I turned pro in 2000 and moved to Florida in 2001. Played Golden Bear Tour for four years and you know and four four Miss Q schools at second stage. So it was just a little heartbreaking. You know, you I feel like I was good enough and. Uh, but I just couldn't get through the uh, the Q school, and when you can't get through Q school, you have no uh, future in professional on the PGA Tour or the nationwide Web.com Corn Ferry that's changed name a couple times. But you have no future on that tour, so um, you have to get through Q school. And four years of it, it was just uh, you know I wasn't going to um, just do pr- uh, professional golf, and uh, I got into the golf business and uh, an assistant pro at uh, the PGA Village. Um, North South and Wanamaker, Wanamaker Rider and Die courses there in Port St. Lucie, right up the road from where I live now. And um, I was going to be a golf pro instead of a professional touring professional. Um, I thought that that those days were about over. You know, if you can't make it, you can't make it, and you got to move on. Um, took an assistance job there, and um, that led into um, a job in New Jersey. Took a, after two years in the business, I took an assistance job at Trump Trump National in New Jersey, and Still going to Q school while as an assistant, you know, you can't let the the dream die, I guess, um, too much. But I wasn't, uh, you know, like I said, every day grinding out mini tours, traveling, doing the uh, what was necessary, what everyone thinks is necessary to get on tour. Um, so taking that job, I thought, you know, I'm going to be looking looking like a um, club professional is in my future and. Played with uh, then just Mr. Donald Trump at the time. He wasn't the president yet, and uh, he he you know just took a liking to me. I played a lot of golf with him, and uh, he encouraged me to you know keep going and keep trying at Q School. And you know he was just saying you're you're good enough. I've played with tour players, and you know you're you can make it. So just gave me that little extra shot in the arm, and uh, I finally got through the uh, qualifying school um, in 2007. And made it onto the uh, nationwide nationwide tour, and I've been playing professional golf, touring, and everything ever since. So, um, yeah, just that little shot in the arm from him, and uh, it's been a great relationship. He, he's we stay in touch. Um, I've been very fortunate to have uh, gone to the inauguration, been to the Oval Office, and um, you know, and <laughs> it's pretty amazing just just to think I've had that much contact with the President of the United States, and. Uh, so how many how many round rounds would you say this, that you played spring. with uh, with uh, uh, Donald Trump? Um, before he was president, probably played about you know thirty rounds with him, and you know I've played probably four or five rounds with him since he's been president. And uh, you know, it's, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, People talk about his game. I mean, someone I think Rick Riley wrote a whole book amazing. about his golf game. What would you who what pro what uh, pro how would you compare his game to a, a pro that we might know on the tour? Well, obviously, there's no comparison what we do on the tour to what what he's doing. And uh, he always jokes with me. He's like, "Man, I'd love to hit the ball like you, but I'm sure you'd like to sell real estate like I like I can." So uh, 
we have some some good ba- banter back and forth. But now he's obviously the president, and uh, he definitely uh, um, has more material for me. But uh, um, no, he's a great. Great, he has a great swing for himself, and uh, it works out very well. He puts and ch- or puts very well. Um, whenever there's a, a putt to be made in in the game, uh, he always makes it. So um, it's always fun playing with him, and uh, look forward to it doing it again. So then, in, in 2016, you're you know you're on the tour. You're going back from the PA tour to the Web.com, whatever they want to call the tour at that time. And in 2016, you win the Shell Houston Open at 15 under over Henrik Stenson, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson. It was a great field. Uh, and that just yeah. opened all the doors for you to play the Masters, the PGA, the British Open. Uh, talk about that first big win you had at 2016 at the Shell Houston Open. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how how this game works. We're, you know, we're... <laughs> We try so hard all the time, and then when you least expect it, you know, great things happen. And um, you know, going into that week, I was playing. I was playing fine. Um, I think 2015 was it was a big year for me. I had a great Honda Classic. I finished seventh there. Finished fourth at in New Orleans in again in 2015, and um, that that put me in like 2016 was going to be my fifth year on the tour. And you know, there's just a lot of uh, retirement things that come with playing five years on the tour, so I probably just felt a little bit more at ease. Like I really, really, truly made it. Um, I'm a five-year vested, fully vested member of the tour, and um, maybe that just allows yourself to play a little bit uh, freer. And you know, going into Houston, like I said, not a not a whole lot of great results uh, to say like a win was coming, but. Uh, um, you know, you just go out and you you put the peg in the ground and you get going. You get some positive momentum. You play a good round and and, th- and things build off it. Anytime you're near the lead, I think you feel better about your game. And uh, I was able to, you know, get into that final pairing on uh, for Sunday. And uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I put a put together a good round, and um, I was able to hold off a, a hold off a great field and uh, get that first victory. I mean, I, to tell you, I wasn't nervous as to be lying. Um, I mean. <laughs> I chipped in on the 16th hole to get the lead, and I and I held held on with two pars on two of the hardest holes that you know we play all year. So um, to get that done and win was just amazing. Um, like you said, it brought so many great things, um, the Masters and uh, a bunch of other tournaments. And uh, but yeah, I mean, then then to follow it up, I didn't have the greatest run since the win. I mean, I, seven, 2017 was pretty solid year but uh 18 i was dealing with an injury and 19 just following up you know trying to get back um out of that injury and uh, then to win this past summer at barbazol um just to validate you know a two-time winner i mean like i said back those days when i was nine years old ten years old you would have said two year two two-time pga tour winner i would have said you're crazy and uh but it's just been a great ride and looking forward to some you know 42 looking for forward to a couple more years at least out here and uh, maybe see what the, the champion store could bring in uh, you know eight years I guess it's pretty well, far off ter- I, I feel like I'm pretty old because everybody's so young out here <laughs> um, I'm not that old but you feel old because <laughs> everybody's no, like that's 21 a, so or 22 we're, now we're talking to Jim Herman who's playing in the Honda Classic this week uh, Jim, so you're, you've had some success at the Honda. In 2015, the first round, you shot a 65, and you were the leader. And then in 2017, you shot a 67, and you finished 27th in 2017. In 2015, as you just said, you finished number seven. And that field was, uh, was, that was the Harrington-Burger playoff year. Rory was in the field. Yep. And that, that was a tough course that year because I remember Rory missed the cut, uh, Dustin Johnson missed the cut, and Justin Thomas missed the cut. So, and then Phil Mickelson yep. was in it, Ricky Fowler, Sergio Garcia. So to finish seventh, in that i mean tell me about in 2015 you have the lead now for the honda that must have been a you know very big feeling in terms of you know having the lead after that first round sure i really didn't have any true experience near the top um you know i'd I'd played you know this was like i said 2015 was my fourth year on the tour and you know i I had some decent finishes top 25s i don't know if i had any top 10s yet um and uh so i'd never really had any tournament lead so it was definitely new to do it here um i you know like the hometown event for me now in florida um you know had a lot of family a lot of friends in town and 
it was a difficult day. Uh, I think I had the lead through the first round by maybe even a two-shot lead, which is very rarely ever happens to have a two-shot lead after one round. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that round, it was windy. Afternoon round, the wind was up, blowing. Uh, greens were pretty firm, I believe. I know we had the weather come in on Friday. I think uh, we had uh, 36 holes on Sunday or Monday. I, I know it was a, it was a weird finish because I, I did play with Phil that week for 36 holes on the weekend, which I don't know, maybe that, that helped me out. Um, I was in, in a good position and, and that little extra playing with a, an I, a golf icon like Phil Mickelson for the first time. Uh, and I got 36 holes. It was great for me, great for my fans, great for my family, everyone there to see him and myself competing against one of the best that's ever played the game. I mean, that was just awesome. So have that all go into one event and uh, have it, I guess at the time, be my best finish. That was, it was a pretty, pretty special week for me. And then to have it here happen at Honda um, was even better. Um, tell, give us a little sense about the, the course and how you approach it. Um, just uh, give me some idea, like what holes do you think, well, I'm going to try to get a birdie on those holes, and what holes concern you. Now, of course, pin placement is important, but in terms of when you're thinking about, in general, about the course, what, what holes do you're like, I really want to get a birdie, you know, this is where I'm going to try to get a birdie on this hole, and what, what holes do you're like, I've got to be really, really careful. Of course, the bear trap, but yeah, especially, right. like, what other... I mean, there's so many difficult holes. I think there's water probably on every hole. I don't even... <laughs> I, I think that's probably the case. Maybe number four doesn't have water, but... Um, you just got to get off to a good start. The, the, the course, you know, one, two, three. Um, if you're struggling there, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a long day because um, five, six, seven are just hard holes, and you got you're trying to get through them. This is assuming we're starting on number one. Um, um, five, six, seven, really difficult par three, five, but seven, you know, is long. I, I think it's probably stretched out to like two thirty or two forty now. Um, or they can stretch it that long, and, and six is a par four is just is just brutal. I know it plays as a par five every other day of the, of the year except for us, but uh, gotta watch six. Six is just such a demanding tee shot. You put block it right into that bunker, you're gonna be laying up, and uh, you know. And then the back nine is is just relentless. You know, you ten is a par four is brutal. Eleven, eleven's probably the hardest hole in the course. Um, you know, if that wind is up, you just have to try to try to hit that fairway and try to get through without <clears throat> a disaster make take advantage of 12 13 but 14 15 16 17 i mean just here we go it's going to be tough um got to hit the fairways everything everything with me is starts from the tee if i'm if i'm a little off off the tee it's going to lead to uh miss greens and you know and, and you're going to be struggling um with anything you got to play aggressive but you got to be conservative with that. So aggressively conservative on these holes. Um, 15 and 17 obviously get most of the attention. You got to you got to put together a good some good swings there. Um, you can't bail out. I mean, to bail out, you're just you're just playing too scared if you're uh, bailing left into the bunkers and uh, you're going to make bogeys. So see what you can do. Put some better, good some good swings and see where you are at the end of the round. Um, you know you're going to make some mistakes. So. See if you can make some birdies on those other holes. So, what is your impression of the of the uh, tournament in general? Uh, the fans. It, it is actually. I mean, just at the Genesis in L.A. and there's not. There's no big stands. It's not that. It's not that energy you get that you get like on 17 at the Honda when there's 20,000 people when you're trying to hit a tee shot. And you played with Phil for 36 holes, so you sort of had those big galleries around it. It must be a, yeah. a, a, a very energetic to to walk around with with oh, galleries. Like that. Yep. It's 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 amazing. I mean, playing in front of the the galleries. I mean, been to the biggest venues. You know, the Masters, the Majors, and you know, Phoenix packs them in. I mean, but the Honda's doing such a great job. Ken Ken has done um, such a great job with this tournament, um, getting good fields, and the players like playing here at, at the Champion Course. And uh, you know, the fans love it. The energy around the that, around the bear trap is uh, just amazing. It's almost a little too, a little too amazing because it's getting a little loud. Uh, 17 is such a hard shot, and uh, the, the the crowd likes to um, cheer us on so much that maybe they get a little uh, aggressive. Maybe <laughs> they're just trying to encourage you, Jim. <laughs> yeah, they're just in trying to encourage us. But it's such a hard shot, and uh, you know, we love it. We love the crowds, but maybe just quiet down just a little bit when we're over the ball. 
<laughs> All right. But, well, so, Jim, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports um, and talking about the Honda. We're excited. I wish you the best of luck this week. I mean, I said you've had a couple good years where you had some nice runs. If you get out to another good start, maybe you can hold that lead uh, this time. So I would just wish you the best of luck and, and uh, for this week. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, out there, every week is great. Winning anywhere is it would be, be fantastic. But, you know, we have – we all have hometowns, and we all have second homes. Uh, all the players do, and uh, you know where we call a second hometown. And you know, being from Ohio, winning Memorial would be—I mean, just amazing. But uh, you know, second to that would be right here at Honda. You know, being a Florida resident for almost 20 years now, it uh, feels like home. And uh, you know, I'm gonna do all I can, and uh, hopefully, we can uh, be in the mix uh, on Sunday. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on. 754, great stuff from uh, Jim Herman there, and we're rooting for him as well in the Honda Classic. More from the Honda coming up, also Ira's pick, but Ira, i got to tell you, I'm only in my mid-30s. This boxing match on Saturday night was the most I've looked forward to a boxing match, maybe in my life, because I was too young for the Tyson days. And Pacquiao versus versus Mayweather, I was excited for, but I thought Mayweather was going to be a boring Mayweather fight, and it was. I was all in on Wilder Fury, the rematch on Saturday. And it was exciting for what we got. Yeah, it was a great fight. I think there was a lot of anticipation for it. Uh, they were two charismatic uh, fighters. Fury comes in on a chariot uh, <laughs> with a Frank Sinatra song. I don't know what Wilder's outfit was. It was like a, a robot outfit, and it was an honor of Black History Month. It was a great entrances. Uh, there was a lot of look. They had they fought uh, last year and to a draw, so there was build up for this fight. Fury had beat Klitschko to take the championship. It was the all heavyweight champion of the world, and then he just could not deal with fame and. And became with, with alcohol and drugs and had to give the title away, didn't fight for a year and a half. And then suddenly he's coming back, he's getting the title back. He's the lineal champion going back for the first champion. So he's the lineal champion fighting Wilder. And a lot of people, it's even, a lot of boxing experts thought Wilder was going to win, but what a fight. I mean, you had Holyfield, Tyson, Lennox Lewis right in attendance. They came up in the ring before. So there's a lot of excitement going right into that. That that The first moment when they bring the bell, it's like the best time in sports. No, it was. You know, I had a bet. $25 on a third round win for Tyson Fury would have paid about six grand. If that round was 10 seconds longer, I think he would have got that TKO. But uh, needless to say, would have take three more rounds and he did get it. Well, he, he should have had it there. It was, and Fury came in at 273, which was 273 pounds, which was 19 more than he wore, had the last fight. And he, he literally said what he's going to do. I am going to, it's like if you want to go to a, a guy with a rifle or a knife. If you're going to get a guy with a rifle, just get close. He's like, I'm going to come real close to him. Wilder is known to have the best knockouts, 40 out of 41 knockouts. Yeah. Uh, he goes, I'm not going to let him hit me. I'm going to come close to him. I'm going to, I'm even going to out weigh him by, by 60 pounds and just just be on top of him and, and I'll punch him. And the, the moment the bell rang, he ran right to Wilder yeah. and Wilder was backing up the entire time. And in the first the first round, I thought he was he was dominating. He switched, Fury switched trainers. He, he brought Sugar Hill stored in from John Davidson. He said, my last trainer did well, but I was dancing too much. I wanted to be a fighter. I wanted to make this a street brawl. And uh, in the second round, this is where he predicted victory. We had Wilder on the ropes then. I mean, it's really, you could even pick a round where you thought Wilder actually did no. well. And then in the third round, when he Knocked, after the third round, when he knocked him down, and Wilder, I got to give him heart. Wilder came back up and and fought. But I after, thought they may have TKO'd him then when he was in the corner. But by the fourth round and the fifth round, he he knocks him down and again in the fifth. And by then, you're just like he's never going to last. Wilder looked like he he couldn't even stand. I mean, I gave him credit for <laughs> trying hard and yeah. for being up there, but he couldn't throw the punches. But the the thing about this fight was that you knew that Wilder had that one punch in him, that Rocky punch. And uh, I saw Rocky Balboa where he said where he's going to throw that punch. You knew he had that punch, so you were nervous. Even though you saw Fury dominating out hitting him the whole time, you knew he had that one punch. But in the seventh round, when he was just getting smashed again, Mark Breland, his trainer, threw in a towel. Now, the other trainer for Wilder did not want to give him the fight. He was mad that Breland threw the towel in. And then Wilder said after the fight that he, he didn't want the towel, of course. But I think anyone who watched it, there was no way he was going to come back. He couldn't back. stand on his own two feet. And, it was dangerous at that point. And I think that Breland really saved him for another fight because I was thought he was going to go to the hospital, but he was being interviewed after the fight in the ring. He seemed fine. 
spine um, and really the ear. He was just, it was a cut. It wasn't anything that bad. But he blamed, I think one thing you heard about Wilder said, he's like, I didn't like my training. I, my legs felt tired. I wasn't wearing right. Then he blamed his shorts. He said they were too heavy. <laughs> he said the shorts were too big, which they looked heavy. It looked like he had like gold on the shorts. So there's a lot of things. But look, the question is, what does Fury do next? Uh, Anthony Joshua is the champion, the other champion, who's from England also. Fury and Joshua are both from England. Joshua fights uh, tomato cans and and, and gets 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium. If these two fought, they could probably draw 300,000 to any venue <laughs> that would possibly have it. So Fury, Joshua, or, or a rematch between Fury and Wilder. So the heavyweight division is great right now. People are talking about it. They're exciting. And I think boxing needed that. After the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, people were like, I can't believe I watched it. It was so boring. Nobody watched this fight. It was bored. You saw the fans were standing almost the entire fight. Yeah. So it was great. <clears throat> Real quick, college basketball. What's going on? Uh, everybody losing. If you're, if you're a ranked <laughs> team, you're going to lose. You're not going to change. Kansas beat Baylor, which was like one versus two, which was a big game. Kansas beat Baylor and Baylor. But Gonzaga lost to BYU by 13. Uh, San Diego State had the first loss to UNLV. Uh, uh, Duke lost by 22 points to NC State. Crazy. It was just uh, absolutely, If you're, this tournament is going to be nuts. Uh, Florida State tonight plays a number 111 Louisville. They're going to be a two seed in the tournament, which is great. And Dayton with Obi, to Obi Toppin being prepared for him. Dayton might be a one seed, could be a two seed. They're ranked number four in the country. We're going to talk about basketball, a lot of basketball later. We're going to have Danny Tarkanian, who was uh, Tarkanian. His father was the coach at UNLV, Jerry Tarkanian, for many years. In two weeks, we'll have him talk about college basketball. But I'm pumped to, for about the tournament, and it's going to be coming in like three weeks. Real quick, we've got Greg Chalmers here. Uh, he's an interesting character, and you're going to love this interview here on Iron Sports. We're talking to Greg Chalmers, who's competing this weekend, uh, this week, in the Honda Classic. Uh, Greg, I was looking through the records. It, it looks like this could be your 13th time coming to the Honda. Uh, what's, what keeps bringing you back to the, to the Honda Classic? I know you're from Australia and you're living now in Texas. Uh, what's the pull to uh, Palm Beach Gardens? Oh, you know what, mate? I think that's just a reflection of the fact that I'm old. But um, I, uh, I got an invite there a few years ago when I really needed it. So I remember chatting to Tom Byron one year. And I asked him about why he plays certain events. And he always goes back to places where he's got an invite. Um, so that's one reason. Uh, B, I love coming back that way. I've uh, been coming since we played at uh, TPC at Heron Bay. Uh, we, I, I stay at Brad Faxon's house. He's just down the road there. He's only a mile and a half from the course. So it's a nice time and a nice place to go see um, see some friends. And then and the, finally, the, just the golf course. I mean, it's a real test. It's uh you got to put a lot of work into all areas of your game, and uh, I'm out practicing right now trying to get ready and see if I can't play well next week, this week. And you had some success. I mean, in 2012, you finished in 12th, and then in 2018, you were in 17th place. So this could be the year you get your uh, you know, breakthrough and, and, and have a, maybe a, a top 10 or, or even a win. So it's uh, you know, you're, you're sort of – Yeah, that'd be, go nice. ahead. that'd be nice, mate. You never know what's going to happen. Um, I, I'm just uh, – uh, I've been injured for a little while in uh, over the last couple of years, so I just is sort of coming back to playing golf, and I've only played three events this season, but uh, this will be my fourth, and I've got to get out there and and and, and more concerned about just getting away to good starts, and and uh, before we worry about anything, you know, in terms of big results. So um, lots of, and that's the thing about this this golf course we play. There's lot, there's enough to worry about without worrying about Sunday before you even start on Thursday. <laughs> Well, you've played in golf tournaments, golf courses all around the world. I mean, growing up in, in Australia, and uh, I mean, you, you won the P. One year, you almost won the Grand Slam of the P. They call it the Triple Slam or whatever in terms of the PGA, and then the Open, and then you almost won the Masters at the, in Australia. You played in Europe. You played everywhere. I mean, talk about the the Honda course, the PGA National course, and what makes it such a fun course to, or challenging course to play, per se. Well, it, it, what it does is it just tests every part. Uh, there's no room, every part of your game, there's no room for weaknesses. You have to drive it really, really well. Um, it doesn't matter if it's even on short holes, you know, holes like 11, which is, you know, reasonably short for us, like a driver and a mint short iron. And, but if you don't drive it in play, you've got all these forced water carries that um, you can't get on the green out of the rough. Um, I think it's a, you know, power is always an advantage, but I like weeks where, um, it's not as much of, as an advantage there because you can um, plot your way around the golf course. And, and I also like weeks like this where uh, even par is not a bad score sometimes. You can get away with making a mistake or two, and if you can pick up a birdie or two, you're, you're, back, in the, you're back in the game. So um, the golf course is, is really well done. Uh, Nicholas is on, and 
Um, pretty typical kind of Nicholas Snow. Lots of water and lots of visual. You know, that finish you have there is pretty challenging. So lots of visual hazards and, and actual hazards. So it's, uh, it's, it's got a lot to it that uh, is appealing and really difficult. Now, there's one thing that people have to know about. Um, we're talking to Greg Chalmers, who's competing in the Honda Classic this week. You're a left-hander. And uh, I think I saw a stat that uh, when you won the Barracuda Championship in 2015, we're only the 12th left-hander to win a tournament on the PGA Tour. So that's pretty, pretty amazing and pretty impressive. And does it, being a left-hander, does it give you any benefit in terms of the Honda? Or what is it, is, is there some courses, I mean, we talk about when Phil Mickelson, you know, Mickelson in terms of, of his advantage at some courses, is there something advantage that maybe a left-hander might have at this course? Uh, there's a, unfortunately, usually it's an advantage when there's, a small advantage, I guess, if there's water on the right for a left-hander, because that's a strong side miss for us, and it's much easier under pressure to hold the club from rotating over. So, for a right-hander on holes like 15 and 17, uh, that can the perception is that that could be slightly, you know, more an advantage. I, 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 but ultimately, then you got holes like six, which is water all down the left, which is a really hard hole for me because I look up and I'm looking straight at water. So, there's lots of uh, Lots of challenges there for both people, both right and left-handers. I don't think too much about it because I've I've played some weeks, you know, in my career where I really think I should do well at a course and I don't, and then other weeks where realistically I probably shouldn't do well at some venues and I have. So um, just get on the first tee and you know whack it down the fairway and and then get, go chase it. <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to do it now you've had some interesting i mean you you won the pga australian pga one year going against adam scott and i think it went to seven playoff holes so you won seven playoff holes with adam scott and when you won the barracuda you were tied with gary Woodland going into the last hole and you're able to pull that out so you've you've actually had some really nice final round wins like that over some over you know two of the top elite golfers in in the game yeah look i've been i've been fortunate at certain points um but there's no question when it comes to certainly at home I've been very lucky with with some wins I've had in Australia and and uh, but you know over here in America I, um, I I'd like to see some better results than what I have uh, not that I have regrets I just wish um, I'd like to be in contention a little more and have some more chances to win but it's extremely difficult um, there's 150 guys playing and they're all very very good so you you have to you can't afford to make any mistakes so. Um, particularly at my length, so uh, I'm uh, I've got a lot, lot of challenges in front of me as always. So that's what keeps me motivated. That's good, and, and I know that you're very involved in Texas in a charity for autistic children called Maximum Chances. Um, you want to talk to tell our listeners a little about what you do uh, for that charity and, and down in Texas? Yeah, it's actually started by my my, uh, my wife and I, and MaximumChances.org. Um, is the website. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it. It's just my oldest boy, Max, is 16, and he's named after him. He's on the autism spectrum, and we just we spent a lot of money um, on therapies for him, and he's doing really well now. Um, and we just uh, we wanted to, and we were fortunate we could afford to do it, and we wanted to help people so who can't afford to do it and and can't always find what they need in their network and things like that. So it's it's really challenging um, issue, and so. Uh, we pay for therapy, speech therapy and behavioural therapy and uh, here in the Dallas Metroplex for families that need it. So um, we appreciate any support as always. And uh, we're just a, a um, sort of a, yeah, well, a that... smaller footprint charity. And so it's it's really going well. Yeah. No, uh, um, no clearly that is, I mean, just phenomenal cause. And, and you want to say that the website again for Maximum Chances? Oh, website's a maximum w you know www.maximumchances.org. Org. Yep. And uh, okay. yeah, um, we appreciate any love we can get. <laughs> no, certainly, and we you know we certainly love you know sort of as someone like you who has played the Honda so many times, it comes back. Uh, I, I think that it's you know it's just great. I mean, we you know we love it here in the Palm Beach Gardens in terms of the, what the tournament does, and have a, a pro like you to come in. Talk about finally, just a quick question is about. You know, we, Australia has a tremendous tradition of golf. And, and, you know, from the Greg, we know that Greg Gormans and Adam Scott just won the Genesis. I was in L.A. and he had a great win over there. Talk about the competition growing up in Australia and, the, and, the, and just what golf in Australia is like. Yeah, so it's, it's just it's a lot more affordable than I found. You know, I lived in America now for 20 years. And, you know, when I was growing up at a, uh, as a kid, as a young teenager, when I started playing, uh, I think my golf club was $150 a year. 
Um, and there's a lot. There were a lot of options in that price range um, versus you know, what you see in America, which is a real country club, um, very expensive game. So, um, you know, when I grew up, if you had $25, you could go play golf um, and a pretty decent course. So um, it, it was... Uh, and we had a lot of good junior programs, very competitive, and we still have a lot of high... Now, when you get really good at the game, we have a lot of high-performance programs that are doing very well and churning out some good players. So per capita, they, they certainly... They certainly do very well at getting some good players onto the world stage, and there's some more young kids coming through now that you're going to see in the next few years, I think, and, and really do some good things in the game. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, we wish you the best of luck. I know you're preparing really hard and uh, and getting ready to come in the Honda, and we wish you the best of luck. And uh, hopefully, uh, after a great tournament, we can talk to you, talk to you, talk to you next week. Uh, after yeah, that would be great. Tournament. Thanks so much, I appreciate so, it. So thanks a lot, Greg. This is really been talking to Greg Chalmers uh, on Iron Sports and uh, uh, getting ready for the Honda Classic. Thanks a lot, Greg. All right, um, Ira, let's um, make your pick now. Well, what are you taking here if you have to bet on this week's Honda Classic? I like Ricky Fowler. I, Ricky <clears> hasn't I, – I, it's it's nice. You would want to say, oh, I want to pick someone who who played in Puerto Rico or played in Mexico, but Ricky's take took about a month off. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a month off. He's been practicing real hard. Uh, he's had been in the top – I mean, look at his rounds. His last – like seven of his last eight rounds have been in the 60s. Uh, if he could just avoid like a 73 or 74, yeah. he would have won it again last year. I, I just think Rick, this is the year I think Ricky shoots like a – 64 65 and i think he just keeps going i don't think i think if he gets the lead and holds that lead uh if he has the lead by the weekend he's just gonna run away with this tournament ira we've got a huge guest next week here on iron sports tell us about him uh billy ripkin yeah. uh major league baseball uh, network studio analyst is going to be there he's also a player uh, and a major league player cannot wait to talk to him about the whole astros thing mm-hmm. he wrote a book about analytics so we've talked about analytics on the show so i'm excited to have next week uh, billy ripkin come on we are out of time on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night it's Iron Sports.